for tuning in to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor with a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll talk about womanhood, motherhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And don't they let me when I Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Push Through Podcast, and I have the pleasure to be able to have Dr. Kimberly Johnson Hatchett on the show today. Um, Dr. Hatchett is an expert in retrospective reinvention. She went from a career in business finance to her true calling as a board-certified neurologist at the age of 40. She is currently chief of medicine while continuing to see neurological patients. Dr. Kim believes retrospection, the act of dealing with past events, is needed to find one's retrospective calling and destined purpose. She travels the country speaking and teaching to people, and she also sent me her book, Retrospective Calling, Looking Back to Create the Path Forward. And we're going to talk about her book as well as motherhood and her amazing career shift. Thank you for joining us for the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Okay, so starting off, um, where are you from originally? Originally, Raytown, Missouri. Oh. So Mama's Family. Remember the show Mama's Family? Yeah, I remember that. It was based in Raytown. So I'm from that area. <laughs> it's it's covered outside of Kansas City, um, but it's it's a very down-home sub- suburb of Kansas City. Interesting. Okay. And where are you at now? Uh, another suburb of Kansas City, Lee Summit. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't go too far from. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's super cool. Um, so one of the things of many things that I found really fascinating is how you started your career in the corporate world and then made a shift, not only decided to become a doctor, like an MD, but also like the specialty that you chose, um, like has a lot of training, a lot of education. And then while doing that, while juggling motherhood and in your book, you talk about how you had to rethink the way you approached your goals. Um, Going back a little bit, what first made you or tell our listeners what first made you want to take the shift, the career shift um, from corporate and doing something completely different? So when I was in um, corporate America, I was in sales. Um, so I did, I have a degree in finance, but I started off selling things like elevators. That was my first job selling elevators and elevator maintenance and in corporate sales, the Holy grail of sales is pharmaceutical sales. Mm -hmm. So I became a pharmaceutical sales rep and I realized I had the aptitude for the science behind the medication. And so I really enjoyed learning about the pathology that the medicine that I was selling was was you know connected to yeah and i remember one of my doctors that i was calling on he said you really understand the pathophysiology of this disease way better than most of your colleagues you need to think about going back to school and around that same time i got divorced from my first husband Mm -hmm. and i realized you know what i don't have anybody to answer to anymore except for me And if I really enjoy like the science and enjoy learning and God was putting all these people in my path. So I was meeting all of these young 
African-American female physicians who were like, of course you could go back to school and become a doctor. Like they had no second thought when I said, I'm thinking about going back to school. They were like, oh, of course you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so having become, you know, my main circle of friends and then having that tragedy happen with me, you know, getting divorced, which turned out to be the biggest blessing of my life. Um, that may gave me like the courage to just go out and do it. Like, what what do I have to lose? Just, just try it. So that's, that's how it ended up happening. That's amazing. It's good that you had like a great circle to encourage you and also someone to kind of like prompt the idea. And it's like, what do you have to lose? Why not go after your dreams? Which a lot of times, you know, like we, we think about like our parents and our parents' parents, they kind of pick a career, stick with it forever, retire, yeah. never yeah. stay at the same job. But you were like, why not? Like, why not bet on myself? I think that that's super awesome. <laughs> and then, um, so you start the school program um, in a, along the way, which what I liked about your book is how you also give readers like the prompt of asking them questions, being self-reflective on like what goals they want, um, what are some things about themselves that they recognize as like strengths or not strengths or whatnot, which is really good. As you were going along your own journey of finding your now husband, becoming a, a mother while in school, were you someone that did kind of, you know, become very self-aware, checked in with yourself, took care of yourself? Did you do any of those things? So let's see, probably not. <laughs> so like when I was a resident, we worked 80 hours a week. Like that was our average, literally 80 hours a week. So it was hard to really take care of yourself. Um, you were just trying to survive. Um, I think that my husband really made me stop and think about things. Like if I was doing something, he would stop and say, now, how do you think that went? What do you think about that? Like any, even today when I do stuff, I'm saying, I'm going to do this, this, and this. He'll be like, okay. And he'll, he'll watch and see. And then afterwards he'll say, well, how do you think that went? Tell me what your thoughts are. And he says it in such a way that it was like, did it not go well? He said, no, I just want you to reflect on how things went. That's awesome. Um, so having that steady person in my life has made me stop and think about things. Yeah. Um, I know from a health standpoint, getting older, I have had to stop because if you know illness or chronic disease will creep in if you don't take care of yourself. So I am very self-aware of those types of things, especially given my family history, um, you know, a history of high blood pressure, history of diabetes, um, history of uh, being overweight, things like that. You don't wanna have, you know, and having kids later on in life, I'm like, you know what? I wanna be around for these kids. Um, My parents had me late in life. And so they had to push themselves to be healthy, to be around for their grandkids. I want to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, well, first let's go back. So you started the program school and even kind of like when we talked in our email exchange, um, you were taking care of kids. You were pregnant and had a small child while you were saying like 80 hour work week, all, all of these things juggling at the same time and being a wife. Um, did you, planned it out in that way did it just kind of like (laughs) happen and you kind of just roll with it because the theme of the podcast is push through obviously you pushed through it and persevered but what was it even like like in the midst of all of that I think in the midst of it I was like Lord you know what you're not going to give me more than I can handle Mm -hmm. and I feel like you've given all of these blessings to me 
I saw some of my friends struggling to have kids. Mm -hmm. I saw some of my friends struggling to have relationships um, and struggling to get into medical school or get into residency programs. And I had all of these things that's kind of laid out. Um, and I just had to figure out how to balance it all. Um, and <clears throat> I think that's the thing that has really, I, I'm not a it's not a balance. It's like, I focus on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. um, that's because when I was trying to balance it all, things weren't going well. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I thought I was trying to be perfect. Perfection was just killing me. So then I realized I let go of perfection because Lord, it's not going to happen with two girls trying to do their hair. My, all of this, they have all of this too. And then everything else. So it's like, I let go of perfection and just focus on one thing at a time. Nice. Okay. And something that you mentioned in the book, um, as you were trying to pass your boards, you kind of like reevaluated your approach and taking the test and you called in all of your supports. Help. Mm -hmm. like throughout life because we talk a lot about um mothers and women especially black women yeah realizing their tribes not feeling like they have to do or be a strong black woman that it doesn't mean that you're weak to have people to come in and help you had you always been someone who done it all was it hard for you to ask for help yeah i think so i think even in failures um i can go back to even high school like I remember trying out for the dance squad and I didn't make it. And I remember coming up with a plan, figuring out what I was gonna do. Okay, and next year do my plan and I got on the squad. All of those, like trying to, but I did it myself. Yeah. So I can always go back and think, I, I remember going back and looking and saying, I've always kind of just relied on myself. And I think it's because even though I have a sibling, she's 11 years older than I am. So I was by myself a lot as a kid and had to figure things out on my own because I didn't have that sibling relationship because she was gone in college. By the time I was seven or eight, she was already in, in college. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that made me take pause when things were not working out and my plans that I've set in place weren't happening. I was like, okay, I've got to ask for help. And I have people saying that they're going to help me. I need to just say, yes, they're there for a reason. Um, and so it was hard, but then it became very easy once I accepted that that's what I needed to do. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, okay, so going also to talk about like becoming a mom, I know that you had so much going on mm -hmm. in general with your career, going to school. Um, what were each of the pregnancies like in labor and delivery? What were those experiences like for you? <laughs> So um, my first pregnancy was okay, but I was a resident. I was dehydrated a lot. So I had those uh, Braxton Hicks contractions all the time. The people at the labor and delivery place knew who I was. I was like, oh, what's happening? They're like, no, it's not real. And so I'm like, okay. They were like, you need to stay hydrated. This, this is not real. Um, but I remember when I went into labor with my first uh, daughter, my oldest daughter, I was on rounds. And I was rounding with my attending physician. I was a fellow. Um, and so we were seeing epilepsy patients and we went into the room. And as we were walking out of the room, I had a contraction. And the woman that I was with, she was like, oh, that was a, that was a big one, huh? And I said, yeah, yeah, it was kind of big. I said, we can see another patient. So we go and see another patient. We're walking around, I have another contraction. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hmm, that was about 
five minutes apart. I said, yeah, that was. I said, I'm good though. And she said, isn't it hurting? I said, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm okay. I can make it. She said, oh, okay. And she walked away for a second, made a phone call, then came back. She said, okay, let's see the next patient. But what I didn't realize is that she had called another physician and that physician showed up with a wheelchair. And she said, Dr. Johnson, um, we are neurologists. We are not OBGYNs. We don't want you having this baby right here. So you're going to go home. And I said, what? And she said, but first, you're going to eat a bunch of food. She gave me a big thing of meatloaf. Oh, wow. And mashed potatoes and said, eat all of this because they're not going to let you eat when you go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the hospital, you know, I was having contractions, but the contractions weren't like, um, they weren't stable. And they realized that the, that Helen's heart rate was going down, was decelerating every time I had a contraction. So they said, well, you need to think about having a C-section. Mm. And I was like, really? I know that was not part of the plan. Right. Um, and I looked at my husband. He said, well, if her heart rate's going down, maybe we should think about this. And we said, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. When, when, when are we going to do this? And they were like, now. Mm. We were like, now? And they were like, now. And 15 minutes later, Helen was there. Like they got her out quick. Um, And so it went well, you know, all of that. You know, I did the one year of breastfeeding that everybody says you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the midst of that, around 10 months into Helen's life, I got pregnant with Hope. Right. And that was, um, that probably was too much for my body at my age. Um, And that's what my my cardiologist, and I ended up having to have a cardiologist at that point, um, told me. Um, that I was breastfeeding, pregnant, working full-time, and I ended up having a heart condition called SVT, supraventricular tachycardia, where my heart would beat really fast. Um, And I ended up having to take medicine and be monitored. And so that pregnancy, I ended up having a scheduled C-section and carried her full term. And now I have a wild five and seven-year-old kids (laughs) it's something yeah that is something I remember you were saying that in the book how you know you decided to take a test because something was off you saw the two blue lines and realized you were still you were pregnant Mm -hmm. while also having like a toddler at home and I can't imagine you know what that must be like you know like to feel like that type of pressure responsibility stress even um, and I know that we touched a little bit about like, how did you take care of yourself? But even like with the second pregnancy and realizing that you had a heart condition, did you ever question like the amount of things that you had on your plate? Did you take self-care days? Did you rest at all? Or were you still kind of pushing along? You know, and, and I think selfishly, I pushed along because I thought, okay, you know, I've been given this, I can, I can handle it. And it wasn't until I think that's the reason why I was I would fail those tests. Mm-hmm. It forced me to stop and slow down. It was literally forcing me to sit and study. Mm-hmm. And that study time was quiet time for me, was reflecting time for me. I actually like to study. I like reading. So it was something that I liked to do. I like memorizing facts and things like that. Um, so I'm kind of nerdy. That's probably why I became a neurologist. Um, so but that gave me quiet moments to really focus on me. Um, 
So I think that, and, and looking back on it, just in this conversation that you and I are having, I, I can see that's the reason why those things were happening. At the time it sucked, yeah. but it forced me. I think had I passed the first time, I would have kept on going, just kept going, kept going, kept going. Um, and, you know, I might've had another baby and been like, oh, I could do this and life would be really crazy. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the reason why God was forcing me to slow down and really take stock and reflect and give myself a break. Yeah. Yeah. Now for working moms who are similar to you, who do so much, but also very passionate about what they do and are trying to find balance, which I often say there's, there's no such thing as balance, but are trying to balance work, life, motherhood, what tips or, or what suggestions would you offer them um, in being able to, you know, really be present in their career, but also be present with their kids? So I think one thing that I've tried to do is when I'm at work, I'm at work. Mm. Um, I really, um, but also I incorporate my family in my work. So, you know, I tell my patients little funny stories that my kids will do. Or um, I, when I'm seeing a dementia patient and, my, and, the, and the spouse is telling, asking me, well, what, what should I expect? I'll say, you know what? Because dementia, um, the patient becomes very childlike and they have um, a lot of things that are very similar to a toddler. So I'll tell them, this is what I do with my kids. I let them take naps. I do this, I do that. And so I, I try to incorporate my family, mom life mm -hmm. in my job. Mm -hmm. um, and it is something I do talk about my family a lot when I'm at work, but I do focus on work when I'm at work. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that I, I've tried to do. And when I'm at home, I really try to focus on home or my passion, like doing other passionate things like talking about the book or talking about being a you know, working mom. Um, the reason why we're doing this on a Wednesday night because Wednesday is McDonald's night. I don't have to have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to be very strategic in when I'm gonna do certain things just so I don't have to take time away from my family. That's awesome. What, what have you enjoyed about motherhood so far? Oh my God, kids are so funny. I didn't realize how hilarious they are. I mean, they're just, they crack me up. I think that is what I, I really enjoy the most is that they are so funny and so um, like these little humans that I've, I've made. And I'm like, God, I, I actually made these little humans and they're just running around here cracking jokes um, and dancing and just the dance parties that we have. And um, watching them learn, you know, like my seven-year-old, it was like, she was struggling to read. And then it was like the light bulb went off and now she's reading everything a lot. Like some things I don't want her to read. And she's like, <laughs> what does that say? And I'm like, oh, don't read that. <laughs> so seeing that, and then now seeing the same thing happen with, um, my, my youngest is about to turn six and she's getting ready to go into first grade, watching her do sight words and learning and just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I was praying that one of my kids would be left-handed. So my, my I'm left-handed. My mom's left-handed. Her dad was left-handed. So I'm like, okay, God, hopefully one of my kids will be left-handed. And my youngest came out left-handed. So showing her how to write and do things with her left hand is a joy. So those are, a lot. I guess I said a lot, but yeah, that's what I enjoy about motherhood. How do you feel like motherhood has changed you? Um, I think it's made me more patient. Um, 
that's one thing that my friends have actually said. They were like, God, you are so patient with your kids. But I think that because I'm an older mom, I don't, it, things don't, I don't have the energy to be like all, you know, riled up about things. I'm like, I just kind of let things flow. Um, so it might be patience, but I think it's just fatigue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's changed me in that it's made me more mellow. And it's given me pause in the things that are going on in the world because mm -hmm. I want their world to be better mm -hmm. than what I grew up in. And I, I fear for things that are happening right now. I, I'm fearful for those things. So I'm like, Lord, you know, we've, I've got to have, you know, be an advocate for change so that their world can be better. Right, right, right. I love that. And it, it is like it can be very anxiety provoking. Like when you think about everything that's going on and how you've like had these humans and at some point they're going to have to go out there. Mm -hmm. um, but for sure, like being as present with them as, as much as possible and um, being an agent of change kind of can help cope with that, yeah. that worry. Now, what inspired you to write the book? So I, um, I've, li I've always like liked writing um, and I've, had lots of wild adventures. Um, so people have always said, girl, you should write a book. You should write a book. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until I was sitting, and I think I, I mentioned this in, in the book, I was sitting in this church and I was going to one of those little happy, happy churches where, you know, people drink coffee and they're chilling out. Um, and this random minister from Chicago got up and I was in St. Louis, he was from Chicago and he got up and started talking about retrospection mm -hmm. and the art of retrospection and how you can look back and see where what God was doing for you and in your life and how it can lead you to your future. Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me. And I was like, that's gonna be the title of my book. It was like, I could just see it clearly. Yeah. Um, and he was like, all these impactful moments that can happen in your life are leading you to your future. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember telling my, my husband this, and he like has a tendency to believe me when I tell him I'm going to do something. Um, and he got me a laptop. He got me a writing book. He got me a writing pen. He said, all right, let's, let's do this. And so for years I was, you know, I was writing a little bit here, a little bit there, but when the pandemic happened, and it forced me to do like home clinic. Like I had to do a remote clinic and my kids were here and we were home. And then when I actually went back to the hospital and was rounding and seeing patients die, like death everywhere. Um, and these patients, for me, we would see the patients once they started having seizures or something like that. And we couldn't, or they were having strokes and they were bad strokes or really the seizures, we couldn't stop. We just couldn't stop them. Um, and then they would die. And I was like, you know what? Life is precious. Let me get my butt in gear and get this damn book out. Mm. So that's really what catapulted me to get it done because I was like, I don't know. These were like, you would see all ages and all walks of life coming in so sick. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be me one day. Okay. I've got to get this out of my head and onto paper so that if God forbid something does happen, my legacy is left, you know? So that's, that's the, but really kind of catapulted everything. Gotcha. How was the, being that you said that you felt kind of like this, this spark, 
when the minister had told you that about being retrospective for your own journey of being retrospective, what do you feel like were some gems or some things that were like aha moments for you along the way? Um, one was realizing that my first marriage happened for, um, really blamed myself and was very upset about it and embarrassed about it. But I know that I would have never ended up in St. Louis. I would have never ended up meeting that circle of friends that I had, had I not moved there to be all the things that ended up happening after that had, I would have never had those things happen. I wouldn't be a physician. I wouldn't be living this life. I wouldn't have met my second husband, you know, the, my, my forever love. I would have never had any of those things happen had that not happened. Um, so like, that's a, that was an aha moment like that. All of those things had to happen. Even the the worst of the worst had to have happened for me to get to this point right now. That is such great reflection because it's like, you don't live in regret. It's like being able to really like embrace your journey to have put you in the place that you are. And then also that meshed with gratitude of being grateful for the journey and all of the things that you've accomplished and have obtained. Yeah. And it's really great for like combating the shame that anyone could have for the things that they've been through. Because like it does, like what you said, it, it kind of makes you who you are. It makes you appreciate what you have. Um, what was the writing experience like for you? It was actually pretty good. So I um, <clears throat> went to a wedding about eight or nine years ago and um, met this woman who had actually gone to University of Missouri where I went to undergrad, but she was a couple of years older than me. And she mentioned, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a writing coach. And I thought, I said, what is that? And she said, oh, I help people write books. Mm -hmm. Flash forward, you know, now I thought, I wonder if she's still helping people write books. I reach out to her on Facebook, I DM her. And she's like, yeah, she said, tell me your ideas. And so I told her what I was thinking. And she said, well, what's your writing plan? I said, well, I plan to get up early every day and write. She said, okay. So on Wednesdays, cause this is McDonald's night, I would meet with her and say, okay, this is what I've written this week. She would look through it and say, okay, now I want you to you know, expound on this story, expand this thought, um, focus on this. And she would sit and sit there and I would sit there and just write and write and write and write. And then I would send it to her. And she was like, okay, now expound this, expound that. Okay. This week, I want you to focus on this chapter and I want you to focus on that. Like she kind of just led me through the process and helped me develop my thoughts and the chapters. Um, and then um, after that, she was like, okay, it's time to, I think this is, do you think you're done? And I said, I really don't feel like I have anything else to say. She said, okay, we're done. Now let's get this thing edited and let's, let's go through the copywriter. Let's do this. Let's do that. So she just led me through the process, but it was having that coach, that coaching that really truly helped me get from here to the paper. Mm -hmm. So That's awesome. Would you write anything else? Any other books you have? Oh yeah. Gotta, <laughs> gotta get them out. So yeah, definitely. After I wrote that, I started thinking about um, what, and if you, if you get to the end of the book, um, there's an Easter egg about what the next book's going to be about. Mm, gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so I'm all about Easter eggs. I'm a Marvel <laughs> Universe fan. Um, so I love Easter eggs, leaving oh. clues. Okay. Um, now, obviously, writing sounds like a form of self-care for you. Um, something for you to escape. Learning sounds like something else that you like to do. 
um, that's a form of self-care. Anything else that you do that you really enjoy? Oh, um, like Marvel comic books. You talked about that. And you said that you love Star Trek and oh, yeah. fiction. <laughs> <laughs> All the Nerdville stuff. Yeah. But I am also a Peloton freak. So I, um, we got a Peloton, our Peloton bike in 2018 and it absolutely got another thing that got me through the pandemic and not for the reasons why people think, oh, exercise. It was for, it was because it was me and two other girlfriends. Uh, one was in St. Louis, one was in Detroit and the three of us every single day would say, okay, what are we going to ride now guys? And the three of us would get up and together, we would be on that bike together for those, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes every day. And I had something to look forward to, some companionship to look forward to. Like we went through, oh girl, I think I got it. And we were like, okay, well go to the doctor and do this, do this. Okay, well now we gotta get vaccinated. What you gonna do? Then the, like the three of us did all this together, but it was that bike that brought us together and made us really just close, like super close. Like they're like my sisters now. Um, and we were friends in college, but going through that together and when I say literally every single day, the three of us would text each other. Okay, what are we riding tomorrow? What are we gonna do tomorrow guys? Because the three of us were stuck at home or I would have to go into the hospital and they'd be like, okay, girl, we're going to ride with you uh, while you, we're going to be riding while you at work. And then you have to ride when you get off work. You know, it was just all this, this, the love that you had, um, the community that you have. Um, and so that's, that's, I'm a Peloton freak. I love my bike. I have a, I have a treadmill now too, but I love that bike. So. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I can see how Peloton can offer like that sense of community and like you're moving your body, you're exercising, that's health. And then you have your tribe of friends. And then it sounds like they were also holding you accountable to make oh, sure yeah. you also like got on it every day. So that's, that's awesome. Um, okay. Any last tips, thoughts, suggestions before we wrap up? Um, you know, I think the only suggestion or tip I would have is if someone has something that they want to do, or they've dreamed of doing, if I can do this, anybody can. And even if you have that dream and you fail the first time, that doesn't mean you're gonna fail the second time and you maybe try a third time. So, I mean, having a dream doesn't, I would say this, having a dream doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna happen the first time when you go out and try it. But when you continue to try, it's way better than regretting that you never tried it all. Mm -hmm. I love it. Did you ever have fear along the way? Sure, I did. <laughs> of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had fear. I had, I'll put it to you like this. The first semester of medical school, I walked around with the acceptance letter and the canceled check that I wrote saying that I, I accept, you know, being, I'm happy to be accepted. Here's my little check. I wrote, I walked around with that in my backpack just in case them fools try to say, oh, you know what, you don't really belong here. And I'd be like, oh, no, I got my acceptance letter right here. <laughs> so I had that kind of, you know, uh, imposter syndrome that I had to get over because once I passed gross anatomy, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. Mm. You know, what you had to go through to pass gross anatomy basically turned you, changed you as a human into a medical student. Like you're, you're no longer a normal human anymore. You're now a medical student and you're on your way to becoming a physician. So once I passed that class, I knew I was supposed to be there. And how, 
how old were you when you switched careers, when you became a student? When I came to uh, medical school, I was in my 30s. I actually, so for medical school, um, I had, I turned 30. Okay. With my first year of medical school. And then um, when I got done, finally done with fellowship, I was almost 40. Gotcha. I just think that's super inspiring. Like, I, I think that the fact that you really like betted on yourself and even with some of the clients that I work with, what you just gave, like as an example of carrying the acceptance letter is I'll tell clients that feel like they have imposter syndrome to have like an imposter syndrome toolbox where everything that kind of affirms why you're supposed to be here have a collection of those things for you to review back to whenever you start to question why you're here or the path or the journey. And that's so amazing how this is what you wanted to do and you did it. And even if the fear was there, you kind of like power through it anyway. That's amazing. Very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Can you tell the people that are listening where they can find you, where they can find the book, where they can purchase it? get their own copy. Sure, sure. So um, you can find me. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm at Dr. Kim NeuroDoc on Instagram. Um, I tweet very little, but I'm on Twitter. Um, and um, you can also find me at drkimberlyjhatchet.com. Um, and you can uh, I have a newsletter. You can um, sign up for that. Um, and then retrospectivecalling.com. It's a website that talks all about the book. And the book is available at every place online, um, including Walmart, of all places. Um, so you can buy it at Barnes & Noble, of course, Amazon, um, Books a Million, and Walmart. Nice. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to put all of this in our show notes so people can click on it um, and be able to follow you. And thank you again for being a guest on the show.